Ryan and Emily were missionaries over in India for a while, and they were over there, and then uh, Corona happened, and they came back here, and they've been back here in, in Atlanta for a little bit. He's taken off this fall in just a few weeks, going up to D.C. to be part of a church planting residency, and then praying about where God will, will take them. Um, so uh, we're really excited to have him come up, and uh, I'm going to ask Terrell Davis, one of our elders, to pray for Ryan, and you guys will be blessed by what the Lord has put on his heart today. Father God, this is your morning. You created it. You placed us in it. Lord, we thank you for, the, for, the, for, the, for our week, our last week. Lord, you bring a congregation together of, of different people, different backgrounds, different personalities, and, and you form a congregation. So Lord, we thank you for who you are today and, and how you work among us. We thank you for the, the freedom we've talked about that, that we... we that you've given us in our nation. And may we never take that for granted that we could sit here this morning in freedom to hear from you. Lord, we want to hear from you today. So Lord, we pray for Ryan. Lord, would you just give him the freedom that he desires to have? Holy Spirit freedom just allows him to, to, to speak and to talk and to, and, to, and to pull from what you've given him, what you've had him study and what he wants to articulate to us today. Lord, open us up to you, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Um, as Pastor Tim said, I am a new face, so if I haven't got to meet you yet, my name is Ryan Correa. Um, Brad and Jennifer Howe are not new faces. They, they are members here. They are my in-laws. Currently, they are my roommates as well before you move off to D.C. Thanks, guys. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a joy to be with you this morning. It really is. Um, your pastor, Pastor Tim, has a heart for planting churches, and not just that, but also, and I'd say especially for raising up church planters. And he has been very kind and intentional to invest himself in me. So um, thank you, Tim, for that. Um, I've been to this church a handful of times, mainly just on holidays with my in-laws. And I've heard several of Pastor Jeff's sermons through that. Um, wonderful teacher of the word. Such a faithful man, the way he handles the scriptures. So I say that to say your, your pastors are good men. Your church is a good church. Um, I am really grateful. I got the opportunity to come and preach to you this morning. My desire is simply to be faithful to that which is always good, God's word. So if you have a Bible, why don't we open up to that? We're going to be in Zechariah chapter three. Zechariah chapter three. A little tip to help you find it. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you go one book to the left, that's Malachi. And then one more book, that's Zechariah. It's the second to last book of the Old Testament. Chapter three is 10 verses. I will read the passage for us. I'll pray and then we will jump in. Zechariah 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. 
Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. This is God's word. Um, Please pray with me. Lord, um, you didn't have to speak to us. We, We didn't deserve that, God. Lord, you've been merciful and you have, Lord. So we thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Lord. Um, We pray, God, this morning that you would sanctify us in the truth, Lord. Your word is truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it is a great joy to be with you this morning. I don't say those words lightly. There's not just fluffy words of introduction. I mean it when I say it. It's a great joy to be with you. Um, One way God has been growing my faith and teaching me over the last few years is that belonging to a local church and gathering week by week, it's not just helpful, guys, it's essential. Uh, To to think of it another way, it's not just nice to go to church, it's actually needed. Um, But it's not needed in like a bar to live up to kind of way, like, hey, you need to lose 10 pounds, or hey, you need to get straight A's. It's not needed in that sense. It's needed because we experience pains and shortcomings and failures every single week, and it drags our hearts down. If we're honest, we feel like we're not doing enough, we feel like we're not good enough, and we carry around this lingering feeling that, well, when God thinks of us, he's probably had enough too. To give that feeling a one-word biblical description, it's called guilt. And we're awash in it far more than we realize. You think about all the messages you see on social media. I mean, they're all these kind of self-talk, mental health. Hey, you're the best. You're awesome. Be kind to yourself. You're great. Why do you think we hear those things all the time? It's because on the inside, we're so terrified that we're not. Guys, we crave that validation because we know deep down we're not so awesome. And here's how guilt works. We experience it in two stages. The first stage of guilt is denial. It's when we act like our guilt just isn't really there. You know, maybe it's like boarding an airplane and sitting on first class when you know you just have one of those economy tickets way in the back, right? So yeah, that comfy seat and the extra leg space, it's nice for a minute, but it's not going to last long. That flight attendant is going to come. She's going to ask you to leave. And then you have that long walk of shame all the way to the back, right? When that happens, then you're in stage two, drowning. Now, in this silly airplane example, drowning isn't so bad, right? But if you've been caught doing something worse, you know how awful it can be. Drowning in guilt is far worse than drowning in water. The shame is just unbearable which is why it's so common for us to just hang out in stage one denial and just sit in that first class seat and try to enjoy things as long as we can because we're so terrified of what will come next. Two stages of guilt, denial and drowning. No one is morally perfect. 
So everyone has guilt. And the way we deal with it, it's in one of those two stages. So I know I just met you and you just met me, but if you don't mind, let's lean into transparency here just for a moment. In what ways have you experienced the heavy burden or the nagging reminders of your guilt? In what ways have you experienced that even this week? Maybe it's been from the way you've used certain words or the way you've used certain websites. Maybe it's been from ways you've wasted your finances or your free time. Maybe it's been through a relational offense with a boss, a friend, your spouse, maybe even with God. We all know what it's like to have a stain on our conscience and no matter how many wash cycles we put it through, we just can't get the stain out. But here's the thing about guilt. Guilt has inertia. It doesn't just hit us and stop. No, guilt hits us and moves us somewhere, always. So the question is not, are we guilty? Or even do we feel guilty? But the question is, what will we do with our guilt? Where will it take us? Well, whether that feeling of guilt you felt this week has been subtle or severe, God has good news for you this morning. He has something to say about that here in Zechariah 3. He's telling us, don't deny your guilt, don't drown in your guilt either, but disclose your guilt and deliver it to God. If you're taking notes and you want to write down the main idea of today's message, here it is. Disclose your guilt and deliver it to God. That is what we are to do with our guilt. And when we do that, when we don't deny it and we don't drown in it, but instead we disclose our guilt and we deliver it to God, God promises us three guaranteed outcomes of what happens when we do that. These are guaranteed. If, you, if you'd like an outline, this is, this is where we're going this morning. First, God cleanses us from sin. It's verses one through 4a, the first half of four. Second, God clothes us in righteousness. That's verses 4b, second half of four and five. And then third, God commissions us for service. So outcome number one, God cleanses us from sin. Zechariah isn't the most well-known book of the Bible. So if it's totally brand new to you, that's okay. We'll do a little bit of context just to get us up to speed. Context is always so important when we read the Bible. So at this point in Israel's history, God had expelled these people out of their land and into Babylon because of their sin. But then God gives them another chance. So he raises up this Persian leader named Cyrus to go and defeat Babylon and the people get to return back to Jerusalem and they rejoice. They're so, they're so excited. So they're, they're really eager and they're motivated to have this second chance with God. So they start rebuilding the temple that Babylon had previously destroyed. But their initial spark of motivation starts to fade away. Have you ever felt that in your spiritual life? A spark of motivation that starts to fade away? I know I have. The Bible might speak to us more than we realize. So there's internal complacency. There's external opposition. 20 years goes by and the temple is still not finished. So God raises up this prophet, Zechariah, along with another one named Haggai, calling God's people to complete the work they started. And here's why. Here's the big idea of the context behind this passage. It's because their apathy toward the temple is a representation of their apathy toward God. Zechariah is not merely calling God's people to rebuild a building. He's calling them to restore a relationship. 
In the first half of this book, it's filled with these images, these, these powerful visions of what that restored relationship with God and his people is going to look like. Here, chapter three, it's probably the most cherished in the book of Zechariah. It's my personal favorite because it's one of the clearest pictures of the work of Christ in all the Old Testament. So we're in a courtroom. The scene is a courtroom. And in this courtroom, there are four characters. Satan is the accuser. Joshua is the accused. An angel representing Christ is the advocate. And God is the judge who has all authority. Let's pick up in verse one. It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So here we meet Joshua. Now, this is a different Joshua than Joshua and Caleb, promised land Joshua with the book of the Bible named after him. This is a different Joshua. That Joshua was hundreds of years before this. This Joshua is Judah's high priest. And as the high priest, he alone would enter the Holy of Holies on the day of atonement, representing all the people before God. Now, Exodus tells us that in order to do this, the high priest had to be washed head to toe in a bronze basin. Because God is perfectly clean, not just kind of clean, but perfectly clean, the high priest had to be perfectly clean. If not, do you know what would happen? He would die. But here, Joshua is not clean. No, far from it. Read verse three. It says, now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Filthy. The Hebrew word for filthy here could not be more vile and more extreme. It's like the Bible is saying Joshua, the high priest, is covered in a four-letter word that starts with an S, and no, it's not soda. Joshua's physical filth is a representation of Judah's spiritual filth, and this is why Satan is accusing him. Satan is an accuser. That's literally what the word Satan means. Revelation 12 teaches us that Satan accuses all who trust in Christ day and night without stopping and without taking breaks. That, that feeling you've had this week Oh, he just rubs it in your face. He's even accusing you right now here in church. I'm convinced that the moments when we are at our weakest and most vulnerable are exactly the moments when Satan's accusations become the loudest and most vicious. He cranks up the volume and he digs in the knife. His first goal is for us to deny our guilt. And if he fails at that goal, well, his next goal is for us to drown in our guilt. Remember that denial drowning thing? He's the master of it. Now, in most courtrooms, the plaintiff will make an accusation and then the defense responds, right? That's not what happens here. In this courtroom, Joshua is silent. He's the main character. All the spotlight is on him this whole chapter. And read it, he doesn't say a single word, not one. Read verse two, God speaks for him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. God chose to set his love upon these filthy people, not because of anything they've done, but because of his own free grace. So when Satan's trying to parade around the courtroom, have himself a little party and fire away these accusations, God isn't having any of it. He, he puts a lid on it and he shuts the whole thing down. He says, stop. And Satan doesn't say anything else for the rest of the story. If Satan makes you nervous, if the thought of his accusations feel really intimidating, this is good news for you. God and Satan are not equal counterparts. God is the judge who has all authority. So, so God rebukes Satan in verse two. And then in verse four, God empowers the advocate to do something for Joshua at the command of the advocate's word. Read verse four. 
It says, the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. Joshua is filthy, but God cleanses Joshua. What does Joshua have to offer here? What does Joshua bring to the table? Nothing but his four letter filth. Do you hear this? Do you hear what this is saying? To borrow a phrase from an old pastor, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Always. So great is your guilt and great is my guilt, but greater is God's grace. So don't deny your guilt and don't drown in your guilt either. Disclose your guilt and deliver it to God. Hear the words of Jesus in John 15. He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Already clean. No, I thought it was a process, right? I thought it was day by day, little, bit, little by little, we get a little cleaner over time as long as we do our part. I thought that's how this worked. No, look at verse nine. It says, I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. This was a day prophesied here in Zechariah 3. This day was destined for all of eternity. This was a day when in the middle of the afternoon, the whole earth was covered in darkness. Through his son's atoning death on a Roman cross, this was the day when God would cleanse all the sins of all his people who would ever believe all at once. This is good news. It's good news for weary hearts with lingering feelings of guilt. It's good news for those who feel like they aren't doing enough or they're not good enough. If you've disclosed your guilt and you've delivered it to God, then you are cleansed from your sin, all of it. But the good news doesn't stop there. Outcome number two, God clothes us in righteousness. Verses four and five. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Let me say something. Maybe you haven't denied your guilt but right now you're drowning in it. If your guilt weighs on you like a backpack of bricks or pesters you like an annoying snooze alarm, then you don't really get this. You are not cleansed, but left naked and embarrassed and out in the cold. No, you are cleansed and you are clothed in righteousness. In the garden, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And then after they sinned, they became ashamed. So they made this makeshift clothing for themselves. But God, who is rich in mercy, gave them better clothes to wear. Their sin, their clothes couldn't cover their shame. So, so God sacrifices an animal and he clothes them in the skins of that animal. It's the first sacrifice of the Bible, which would point forward to the ultimate sacrifice of the Bible, the great and glorious sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. If you are in Christ, you are not dirty and you are not naked. You are clothed in righteousness. May we join Isaiah in saying, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me in the robe of righteousness. I'm not a doctor. I don't know hardly anything about medicine, but apparently amputees often experience something that's known as a phantom pain. 
It's when they have a part of their body that's been cut off, but, but somewhere deep in the history of their nervous system, when they remember what it felt like to have that leg, there, there's a sharp pain that develops right in that spot. I say that to say, if we don't remind ourselves that we are clothed in righteousness, if we think of ourselves as cleansed but not clothed, we will experience guilt like a phantom pain. We'll feel it when it's not really there. It'll be sharp even though it's imaginary. We might believe that God tolerates us, but we won't believe that God delights in us. But if you've disclosed your guilt and you've delivered it to God, God delights in you. He sees you as righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says that for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. If you are in Christ, then when God looks at you, he does not see a sinner who is forgiven. Instead, he sees a son or a daughter who is righteous. Everything he sees in Jesus, he now sees in you. Not because you said, I will clothe myself, but look at verse four. God said, I will clothe you. We are cleansed from our sin. We are clothed in righteousness, but even still, there is more good news. Outcome number three, we are commissioned for service. Read verses six and seven. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Joshua, the high priest, was unfit for his priestly responsibilities. He was filthy, right? So God cleanses him, God clothes him, and then, notice the order here, God commissions him. Joshua is not commissioned and then cleansed. Joshua is cleansed and then commissioned. God does not say, Joshua, be faithful to me, and then you'll be clean. God says, Joshua, you are clean. Now be faithful to me. Now, for some of you, you may have heard those first two outcomes, God cleansing us from sin, God clothing us in righteousness, and thought, wow, that's really good news. But, but when you heard this one, you didn't quite feel that way. You got maybe a little nervous. Commission for service? Ah, I don't know about that one. Maybe some of those feelings you've had of, oh, I'm not doing enough or I'm not good enough, maybe those came right back to you. Well, can I just speak to you for just a moment here? I think God wants you to know that just as much as outcome one and outcome two are good news, outcome number three is good news too. It's not like the first two are delightful and then this last one is dutiful. Hey, you gotta do it. No, 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 all three are a delight. They are gracious gifts from God. And here's why. Because you and I were never made to be love buckets where we just get poured into and poured into and poured into and poured into. No one would say it, but I think a lot of people actually view their faith that way. No, we were not made to be love buckets. Instead, we were made to be love funnels where God's love for us in Christ flows through us to others. Hear this. What God does in you and for you, he always intends to do through you. What God does in you and for you, he always intends to do through you. Which is cleaner, water from a river or water from a pond? Why? It's the river, right? Moving water is healthy water. You want, to, you want your faith to feel more real? 
You want your life with Jesus just to feel more healthy? I think Zechariah 3 is telling you, quit being a love bucket. Start being a love funnel. It's going to change your life. You are commissioned for service. Making disciples is not a duty. It's a delight. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. So what would it look like for you to be a love funnel today? Is there someone younger in the faith who you could pour into? Is there someone outside the faith who doesn't know Jesus who you could reach out to? I think it'd be really helpful for us to consider one person in each of those categories, someone younger in the faith we could pour into, someone outside the faith we could reach out to. And, and today at lunch, just an encouragement for you, talk with the people you eat lunch with about that. Hey, here's a person I was thinking about. Oh, here's another person I was thinking about. Share who those people are and pray for each other. Let's look back at verse seven. There's one more thing to notice here in verse seven. Notice that the commission is unconditional. Who is speaking? Well, God is, right? It says, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is from God to Joshua without negotiations, without meeting in the middle. There's not like a mutual agreement of sorts here. Joshua doesn't get the opportunity to decline the offer. Hey God, I'll take the cleansing, I'll take the clothing, but can I pass on the commissioning? No thanks. <laughs> it's not how this works here, right? All of this is unconditional. All of it is from God to us. So the commission itself is not conditional, but the fruits of the commission are. Let me put it this way. For all whom God cleans and clothes, he commissions. 100%, everyone. What that means is that there is no such thing as a person who is a Christian, but who is not following Jesus. I want to say this gently, but I want to say this clearly. That does not exist. Christians have struggles. Yes, Christians have messy struggles, but Christians follow Jesus. One pastor put it this way. Are you following Jesus and getting tripped up by sin? Or are you following sin and getting tripped up by Jesus? Both involve sin and Jesus, but it's a really different picture, isn't it? Which one are you following? If someone is a Christian, then their life will display the commission. You will see a pattern in their life of following Jesus, forsaking sin, and fishing for people. Following Jesus, forsaking sin, and for fishing for people. You will see this pattern in their lives. It, it won't be flawless, but it will be faithful. Faithfulness will lead to fruitfulness, just as we see here in verse 7. But when it comes to making disciples, God does not have bench warmers. No, all of us are in the game. All of us are out in the field. God has prepared good works for all his people that we might walk in them today. You might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Ryan. God cleanses him. God clothes him. And now you're saying that immediately God commissions him? I thought God would give him a little discipleship 101 first, right? You know, just give him some time before he's ready for something like that. No, look at what we see here. Joshua and the fellow priests of verse 8 are commissioned to their priestly service immediately. Let's think about Jesus' interaction with the demon-possessed man for a minute. Remember that one? The guy who's like super, super demon-possessed? Yeah, that one. <laughs> He's living among the tombs. He's cutting himself. He's crying out. People are taking these big, heavy metal chains and no one can contain him. And then Jesus steps on the scene. At the command of his word, he cleanses the man from 6,000 demons all at once. The man was naked. 
Now he's clothed, he's sitting in his right mind, he's at the feet of Jesus, and, and Jesus is about to jump into a boat and get to the next town. And then the man asks him, oh, Jesus, hey, can I jump on board with you? I, I want to come with you, is that okay? <laughs> Do you know how Jesus responds? I think this will, this will challenge many of us. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, come on board. You'll start a discipleship onboarding program to learn some of the basics. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, jump on. And I'll tell you what, just watch these guys for a little bit because you've been through a lot, man. That demon possession thing was crazy. You just need to sit and watch for a while. No, the man asks him, hey, Jesus, can I come with you? And Jesus tells him no. Jesus doesn't say, come here. Instead, he says, go there. And he points to this area called the Decapolis. He says, I want you to go there and proclaim to them how much I have done for you today. So the man went right away. He was cleansed, he was clothed, and he was commissioned. All of it was unconditional and all of it was immediate. I think if we really believed this, many of us would quit waiting until we feel like we are ready to go and make disciples, but instead we would readily go and rely on God to empower us in it. If you have love bucket tendencies, don't drag your feet here. Take God at his word and do something, even if it's out of your comfort zone and really especially if it's out of your comfort zone. Remember that famous line from Spider-Man, the one Uncle Ben says to Peter Parker? Let's just modify it just a little bit. Zechariah 3 is telling us that with great pardon comes great responsibility. With great pardon comes great responsibility. And with great responsibility comes empowering grace. Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, let's wrap this up with two questions. What must we do and what must we believe? What must we do? Well, we must disclose our guilt and deliver it to God. If there's unconfessed sin in your life, don't deny it. Don't drown in it. Take off the backpack, unplug the snooze alarm, and be free of it today. If you're here and you're not a Christian, please hear this loud and clear. We are not better than you. We have no moral high ground to stand on. There is nothing in us that would ever merit God's love. So if a Christian has ever treated you like you are morally inferior, I am so sorry. You're not. Please be patient with us. And please don't let the failures of Christians cause you to forsake Christ. He is far better than we are. Trust me. But if you don't mind me asking you, what would it look like for you to disclose your guilt and deliver it to God today? Have you ever considered that you don't need to change and then come to God, but that you can come to God now as you are through Jesus' death and resurrection? If that's totally brand new to you and you'd love to talk more about that, I'm available. One of the pastors here is available. We'd be very glad to speak with you after the service. For those of you who are following Jesus, I'll tell you what, guys, gathering with God's people in a local body week after week after week, it's such a gift, isn't it? I mean, wow. It's not just nice, it's needed. It's like we have this spiritual amnesia and we just forget things so easily. So we need to be reminded of what God has done for us in Christ. If you've been struggling this week, if you walked in this morning with a nagging sense of your guilt, 
I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. I want to remind you that there is more mercy in Christ than sin in you. Always. Have the courage to do what you must do. Disclose your guilt and deliver it to God. Bring it to the light. Sin and mold are very similar. They both grow in darkness. And as you do, what must you believe? You must believe that you are cleansed from sin, you are clothed in righteousness, and you are commissioned for service. All of it is unconditional, all of it is immediate, and yes, all of it is delightful. And here's what's amazing, guys. Can you imagine what it would look like when we as God's people would really live this way? How would it change our churches? How would it change our communities? What would it look like if we really did and we really believed what this passage is calling us to do and believe? How would that change? Well, I think it would look a lot like what we see here in verse 10. It says, In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. These are just symbolic ways to describe the abundant peace that can only come through following Jesus. And this is what happens when we quit acting like love buckets and start acting like love funnels. Many more are gathered into the flock. Many neighbors from many nations, they're they're cleansed and clothed and commissioned themselves. And Jesus is going to do this every single day, day by day, until one day he returns and he's going to make all things new. So to him be the glory forever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, you're so gracious and merciful to us. I pray you give us strength to be faithful to you, Lord. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.